God that he loves us. I thank God that he looks down upon us as his children. He looks down upon us as this body of believers, this family of God. He sees us. He watches out for us. He loves us and guides us. I was watching out the window from my office there. Now, now everybody's gonna get paranoid. I keep talking about looking out my window. You're gonna start parking in different places. You think I'm watching you, won't you? But every now and then, I just got a little sentimental. And if I could just be truthful, I got a little bit almost weepy. And I'm not a crier, but, but I just felt some tender heartness come up. I was watching out the window a few times and different people pulling into the parking lot. Some people were leaving from nine o'clock or from the ladies' uh, 10 o'clock devotional. And, and I just got almost a little bit weepy for a moment. Can I just be honest with you? And I thought, you know what? God is watching us. I was watching up from a window looking down, but God is watching us from above. And God sees us. He sees right where we are. He loves us. And if you don't take anything away today, just remember that God loves you. God is watching out for you. And if God be for us, who can be against us? I believe that. Can you say amen if you believe that? Amen. I'm so glad to be here in the house of the Lord. I wanna continue on with this sermon series called Conversion Culture. We're coming out of the book of Revelation, chapters one, two, and three. And I put that out a few weeks ago that we were gonna start the first sermon in that series. And I said, I referenced last week's sermon and I referenced Revelation chapter one, two, and three. And I don't know if that scared a few people or not because they probably thought, oh my goodness, he's gonna preach from three chapters this morning. <laughs> Now, I know I have a reputation sometimes of being long-winded, but I won't try to cover three chapters of the Bible in one sermon, I don't think. But I thought, oh man, I, I need to correct that typo a little bit. But I would like for you during this time, if you would read Revelation chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three at some point, maybe read it a couple times, it would really, really help as we go through these three chapters together in this conversion culture series. There are those in our society today that have coined a phrase that's called cancel culture. And there are things and people and causes that they want to cancel out, wipe out, get rid of, destroy. But I propose to us this morning that at the heart of what we all truly, truly need and the answer to the problems we see in this world, all around this world and the turmoil that seems to just be getting worse and worse, the answer is not necessarily a cancel culture. Yes, there's things we need to change and get away from, but the true answer is a conversion culture. Men and women, boys and girls, we need to get back to God. Churches, we need to get back to God. We need a conversion culture. And if we will preach the word of God, if we will pray and be the church, I believe that we can see people converted to Christ and lives changed. And when one life is changed, an entire family begins to be impacted. And then when families begin to be converted, entire communities begin to be impacted with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. We need a conversion culture. So what I would propose to us this morning as I preach really to the church, 
You know, these seven letters that we're looking at from, from John, the revelator, Jesus appeared to John there on the Isle of Patmos and he told him, write these words, write these things down. The one who is faithful and true, I'm speaking to you, write it down. He wrote seven letters to seven real churches that were delivered to those churches throughout Asia Minor. And when we get to this second letter to this church at Smyrna, what I propose that really what he is trying to say to us is this, change your focus. Change your focus. Have you ever taken pictures? Do I have any photographers? I know Larry is a great photographer. I've got one of his pictures pinned up on my bulletin board up beside my desk upstairs. I know Dwayne is a photographer. But have you ever taken time maybe and you've looked at pictures? Let me just say this, I'm an amateur photographer. I pull out my cell phone all the time and take all these photos of my wife and children when they least expect it or sometimes when they least desire it. I have about 1.2 million pictures of Isaac like this because I've not been quick enough on the draw and his arm goes up like this. I probably have just about as many of those pictures of my lovely wife going like this. Stop taking pictures of me. And somewhere in the middle of that line, stop taking pictures of click, click. Usually I've gotten a couple by the time she finishes that sentence. I like to take pictures with my cell phone just to preserve the moment. I pride myself on taking pictures that maybe no one else would really think to take. I just like to get it in action of what's going on. No posing, I just like to take the pictures. So if you were to look on my cell phone, you would find tons and tons of pictures. My wife has had to go, well, she didn't have to. It was a labor of love on her behalf. She has gone before and taken pictures hundreds at a time off of my cell phone to burn them on a CD for me. I love pictures. But if you will look at a picture, sometimes there is a picture and you'll see the outsides of the picture, the surrounding part of the picture blurred. And maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a picture of a person and then everything in the background has been intentionally blurred. Now, what is the photographer trying to do there? The photographer is trying to say, this is the part of the picture I want you to focus on. I want you to focus on this person right here. Or maybe they've taken a picture of an old barn, but they've blurred everything else that's around the barn. And what's the focal point of that picture? They want you to look at that barn. I believe there are so many things in our lives that can vie for our attention. But God, as the ultimate photographer, if, if you will, if I could say it that way, I believe he wants to blur out some things in our lives and say, here is where I want you to focus. And first and foremost, focus on me. Focus on Christ. I believe Christ wants to say, focus on him. And that's one of the things that is really just grabbed me as I studied about this church at Smyrna. Four verses of scripture that we're gonna look at this morning. Revelation 2 8 through 11, four verses of scripture, but four very powerful verses 
of Scripture. Let's just read it together this morning, starting at verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. What I love about these four power-packed little verses, it shows me that God knows. He said here, I know I know he was watching these people, these Christians at Smyrna, this body of believers. He knew where they had been. He knew where they were at. He knew where they were going. I want to propose to you this morning, God knows where you have been. He knows where you're at. He knows what is ahead in our lives. God knows it was such a beautiful picture to me because I, I went back in my mind to Revelation chapter one when the vision that, that Christ gave to, to John occurred and John turned around to see and he saw Christ standing there and Christ began to speak to him and he says to him some titles about who he is. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And I noticed one thing he said right here as he began to write to Smyrna. He said, he who was dead yet came to life. The power of the resurrection he's referencing right there. He was dead yet he came to life. And it was so neat to me as I studied about this church and about the city of Smyrna because it was so relatable to them. You see, Smyrna had been destroyed by an earthquake. And then the Romans had conquered all that area and they were now under the Roman Empire, but Rome helped them to rebuild their actual city. So in a sense, Smyrna as a city had been dead, but now was alive again. And so Christ, it's interesting to me, he chooses to specifically say here to Smyrna, he says, it's, I'm writing to you from one who was dead, but who is alive again. God can relate. Christ relates to where we are and to where we find ourselves in life. And he made this comment. He said these two little words, I know, I know, I know. Have you ever looked at somebody and said, well, they just don't know what I'm dealing with? Have you ever said, they just don't understand what I'm dealing with? Have you ever, even some of our closest relationships in life, sometimes we can look at a, a child or we can look at our spouse and sometimes they fully cannot know or understand us, but God always knows. God 
knows. So then he begins on this happy little trail through these scriptures. Now I say that almost laughing just a little bit because I'm gonna throw out three happy terms that we're gonna look at today that he wrote to them about. Three happy terms, poverty, suffering, and persecution. Now you are looking at me kind of like the nine o'clock crowd looked at me when I said, I wanna give you three happy words. Suffering, poverty, persecution. In and of those themselves, those are not happy words, are they? In and of those selves, no one wants to live in poverty. No one wants to be persecuted. Nobody wants to suffer. But I wanna show you how Christ showed them how beautiful these things were in their lives and for the sake of Christ. First is poverty. Poverty. He said, look at, look at eight and nine again. These things, or excuse me, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna write these things, the first and the last, who was dead and who came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and here it is, and poverty. But then he said, but you are rich. I love that. He knew their poverty, but yet he said, but you are rich. Why were they rich? Because Christ was with them in their poverty. Why were they rich? Because Christ was walking among them and watching out for them. He said, I know your poverty, but yet you are rich. Why were they in poverty? It wasn't because they didn't know how to provide for themselves. It wasn't because they were incapable. They were not in poverty because Smyrna was economically depressed or the stock market had collapsed or none of those things. No, no, Smyrna, the city of Smyrna was a very wealthy happening place. They had kind of like Ephesus, they had trade routes coming in, they had a nice port city on the Aegean Sea and Smyrna was the happening place and Smyrna was a wealthy place. But why were the Christians in poverty. It was because they found themselves on the outside of the mainstream. Let's say that one more time. They found themselves on the outside of the mainstream. As Christians, we may not always find ourselves in the mainstream of what's happening in this world, but I'd rather be rich in Christ. They found themselves on the outs with the religious group of the day, and they found themselves on the outs with the seculars of the day. You see, they had accepted Christ. They had taken a stand for Christ. They were living for Christ. And the Jewish population that was in the city of Smyrna had rejected Christ. And so they were slandering and putting down the Christians. So the religious people were against them. And then over here on the secular end, on the secular side, Rome had taken over and conquered Smyrna and Rome advocated Caesar worship, emperor worship. And they wanted everybody in Smyrna and everybody in their entire empire to pledge allegiance and say Caesar is Lord. But I wanna tell you, Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. 
They wanted them, in a sense, to bow a knee to Caesar. But I want to tell us this morning, there's only one who we bow a knee to. And that's Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They refused to compromise. They said, we will not declare that Caesar is Lord. We will not declare that Caesar is God. We will not worship the emperor because we serve Jesus Christ. I want to ask us this morning here as we assemble together as children of God, are we determined that we will not compromise our stand for Jesus Christ? Whether it brings poverty, whether it brings suffering, whether it brings persecution, do we have the fortitude on the inside to say, I will serve no one else. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And because they would not compromise, because they wouldn't compromise, They were unable to buy and sell and participate in the Agora. The Agora was the marketplace. I actually learned that word in eighth grade Latin back in the day. About the only thing I learned, but I remember that. It was the marketplace. They couldn't buy, they couldn't sell because when you would express your allegiance and worship to the emperor, you would receive a certificate. Then they could go and buy and sell and trade. They couldn't do any of those things. And so they found themselves in poverty. They found themselves, maybe a dad. Let's just take it and make it personal for a moment. Walking down the street. Could not provide and bring in food like he needed to for his family. Because they had taken a stand for Jesus Christ. Maybe a dad and a mom out and about at some point. And maybe they were mocked and ridiculed and said, you guys are starving your own family. Your own family is suffering because you will not renounce Christ. They found themselves in poverty, but God was taking note of them. Christ was taking note of them. And he said, oh, you might find yourself, you feel like you are, and you are in poverty, but you are rich. But you are rich. I believe now more than ever as children of God, we have got to take our mind. We're talking about focus, aren't we? We've got to take our focus off of trying to get ahead. We need to take our focus off of trying to keep up with the Joneses. We've got to take and put our focus again on the riches of Christ Jesus, our Lord. They were rich. Hallelujah. They were rich because Christ was walking among them. What did the old songwriter say? Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Not only were they in poverty, but they were suffering. They were suffering. Read with me at verse number 10. He says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown 
of life. We've already said that Christ walks among his people. He knows, he watches out for us. He's writing to them. He's commending them. Do you know the seven churches that we're gonna look at in this series, there are only two, only two, Philadelphia and Smyrna, that he had no correction for. This was one of the two that we wanna strive to be like. This was one of the two that were totally commended. They're getting a good report. They're getting a great report. They're getting a glowing report. They're the type of church that that we wanna be like. If Christ were writing to us as a body of believers, we would want to get a report like Smyrna and like Philadelphia. But yet, he tells them that they're getting ready to go in to severe suffering, even into prison, to persecution. I look at that and I wonder, I know the sovereignty and the power of God. I know that God can do anything at any moment, amen? I know God can intervene just like that. I believe God is a miracle working God. I believe he has all power. He has all authority. He can do anything. But yet he looks at this church that he just commends, that he loves so much, that he's so proud of. And instead of saying to them, the enemy wants to put some of you in jail, you're gonna go through great suffering for 10 days, but I'm gonna intervene, I'm gonna stop it. I'm not gonna let it happen. Have you ever been in that place in life where you've thought, God, I see the suffering on the horizon. I I see the valley. I see the challenge. I see what I'm walking through. I don't want to walk through this. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to go through this. And I know that you can intervene and I know that you can make it all right in just a moment. He could have done it for them. Sometimes he does do it. But he looked at them, he wrote to them and he said, I see it. But just be faithful. Just be faithful. I look at you this morning. I look at you as I watch you coming in and assembling together. I look at these beautiful faces and this beautiful congregation and this precious group of people. And I wish that I, as your pastor, could say that none of us will be in the hospital ever again. I wish I could say that none of us will ever face hard trials ever again. I wish I could say that your heart will never be broken again. I cannot say that, but I can tell you this, that he says, be faithful. What's the good news? What's attached to that? There's something attached to that. He said, be faithful because if you endure the suffering, there is a crown of life that is waiting for you. Now I'm about to preach myself a little bit happy right there. We have something better beyond this life. We are serving him. We are honoring him and this is not all we see. We are laying up our treasures in heaven where the moth and the rust and the corrosion and the old pesky dog that chewed up some of my stuff, they can't destroy. I'll take that up with that dog later. Actually, I took him back to his owner. That's another sermon anyway. (laughs) Traded dogs, but I'll tell you about that later. Got a good dog now, hot dog. All of these things that we face, all of these things that are coming against us, 
he could stop them, but he says instead, be faithful. I have a crown waiting for you. Now that means something to us. We know of that eternal crown when we're in his presence at the judgment day. I wanna receive a crown of life. But it meant something to these people in Smyrna right then and there. Because Smyrna was a very athletic city. They put lots of focus on competitions and athletics. And when they would win a competition, when they would win notoriety, they would receive a crown. But do you think that any of the church people in Smyrna had ever received a crown? No. Do you think they had ever received any honor, any recognition? No, they were the outcasts. They were the impoverished. They were the persecuted. They were the put down. But here they have Christ, the son of the living God, in a sense, writing directly to them saying, hey, be faithful because I'm gonna reward you. And if you feel like that living this Christian life sometimes brings a reproach upon you, sometimes causes you to be mocked or criticized or left out. It's okay, be faithful. God sees you and he has a crown that is waiting for us. Let me just say a little bit more about suffering. There is a sweetness in suffering when we suffer with Christ. One scripture tells us if we suffer with him, we will reign with him. But I wanna promise us something this morning. Some of you are suffering. Some of you are going through hard, hard times. I wanna promise you with all my heart that God sometimes does the most sweet and significant work in our lives in and through suffering. I'm not happy about suffering. I'm not happy that you might be suffering. If I could do anything to take your suffering away, I would do it right this very moment. But I can tell you this, God is doing a rich work in you, through you, and around you, and all those who might be watching you during your time of suffering. Be faithful, be faithful. He did not tell them that the pain was going to go away, but he told them to be faithful. John Piper had a great quote that I found in a book this week that I thought fit right here very well. He said, the very sovereignty of God that rules in sickness is the sovereignty of God that sustains us in loss. The very sovereignty that takes Life is the same sovereignty that conquered death and brings believers home to heaven and to Christ. He took it even a little further and made it very personal to, to some of the things we're dealing with right now. And he said, the very sovereignty of God that could stop coronavirus right now is the same sovereignty of God that will see his people through it. I believe, I believe God could stop this virus right now. And I promise you, it will not last one day longer than the sovereignty of God will allow it. But I promise us this, we can still be faithful until it stops. Yeah. 
And I promise you, we serve a faithful savior until we get through this. God is sovereign. There's a first and there's a last. There's a beginning and the end. He even called himself in the salutation, the first and the last. And that really spoke to me because he told them here, hey, there's gonna basically be a start to your suffering, but there's gonna be an ending to your suffering. And God knows the starting point, God knows the ending point, and God will never leave us or forsake us all through the middle of it. God is sovereign, and he is with us in our suffering. Then there was persecution. Persecution. Do you know there are people all around this world who are persecuted for their stand and their faith in Christ. Oh yes, we here in America, we face a little bit of persecution. Somebody might look at us sideways or we might hear a remark here or a remark there, but there are people around this world who are literally laying down their lives for the cause of Christ. I ask us this question, I don't know what the future could hold. I don't know what we could see in our lifetimes. But do we have the richness in Christ and the fortitude down on the inside that if we were to have to take a stand that would cost us our very life, could we do it? Would we do it? Are we determined that Christ is first? Are we determined to stand for Christ? Are we determined, as it said here, as he wrote to them, be faithful until death? Is it possible that my death could happen because of persecution from serving Christ? I don't know, it could be. I'm a very young man, very, very young man. <laughs> Not really. But in 40 years, who knows what I could face? But whether we die because of persecution or whether we just die as the natural course of our lives, let us be faithful until death. I wanna be faithful until death. And there's a historical account of a man named Polycarp. Polycarp ended up at one point, he was the pastor of this church at Smyrna. And some number of years after John had sent this letter to that church and had told them to be faithful until death and told them to endure the poverty and the suffering, some number of years after that, the Roman Empire, the Romans took Polycarp, their pastor of this church. They took him into one of their big venues, one of the Colosseums of some sort. It was the sport of the Romans to kill Christians in front of people. It was the sport of the Romans maybe to take a, a Christian in and they wouldn't renounce their faith so they would put them and maybe tie animals to different parts of their body and just let the animals drag them apart. Or maybe take the Christian in and turn out the lions and they would watch and cheer and jeer as the lions would devour the Christian. They took Pastor Polycarp, if I could call him that, Pastor Polycarp. They took him, they put him before this multitude of people. They said, if we can cause him to renounce his faith in Jesus Christ, then we will affect all those other people that are influenced by him. 
It'll destroy his church. They'll all lose heart. They'll all lose hope. And we won't have to worry about these Christians anymore. We're gonna take their pastor. We're gonna put him out here. We're gonna make a spectacle of him. No doubt in the face of death, he will deny Christ. They took Polycarp. They were getting ready to put him on a stake and they were gonna burn him. And they gave him a chance to deny Christ. And I wanna tell you what he said. He said, 80, here's his quote, 86 years I have served him. He has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? He would not recount. He would not quit. They lit him up and they burned him on the stake. He was burned alive. But I wanna tell you, for a child of God, death is an upgrade. To die in Christ is a precious thing. He died on the martyr's stake, but when he opened his eyes, he found himself in the presence of God and he received a crown of life. 86 years. I have served him, and he's not done me anything but good. Now, you might not have been alive for 86 years, but I believe we can all have that testimony this morning. I believe I could say to you this morning, 41 years, and he has done me nothing but good. I want to be found faithful until death. How about you this morning? One final point today. As we've looked at persecution and suffering and poverty, we've looked at this precious church of believers at Smyrna. It's all summed up in this little phrase, we are rich in Christ. Look at Revelation 2.11. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Be faithful. Be an overcomer. I was flipping through some sermons. I like to watch different people preach at different times. I'm trying to learn how to preach. <laughs> Don't you amen me on that. <laughs> But I flipped through it. I saw Chad Dunford. He's, he spoke for us. And I flipped in for just a couple of moments and he made this comment and it fit really well right here. He said, the Bible doesn't teach us to cope. The Bible teaches us to overcome. Hallelujah. <laughs> what was John writing to the church here at Smyrna? He was saying, overcome. You might suffer poverty, you might suffer persecution. You might just suffer and suffer and suffer, but you can overcome. I wanna tell us this morning, we're not just overcomers, but the Bible said we are more than conquerors through Christ. We are more than overcomers through Christ. And whatever the task that is ahead of you, whatever it is that is breaking your heart, Whatever the challenge that lies before you, whatever the testing that you are walking through, I want to encourage you this morning. God knows you, 
He loves you. He is with you. Be faithful to him and one day we will overcome. We shall overcome. Would you stand with me this morning? Do not fear, just be faithful. Do not fear, just be faithful. Say that one more time. Do not fear, just be faithful. If things get better, just be faithful. If things get worse, just be faithful. Would you bow your heads? Can we pray together? Can we ask the Lord to encourage our hearts this morning? And then I want you to ask him to encourage the hearts of those among us today, our church family. If there's different ones of them that their names come to your mind, then just, just pray for one another this morning that the Lord would encourage us. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that you are still the one who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, meaning that you are walking among the midst of the churches, not just the seven churches that John wrote to. God, we know it's applicable to us as believers today. You are still watching out for us. And each one in this house, God, would you encourage every heart, every mind. Lord, as those among us who are facing hard trials, disappointment, hurt, uncertainty, sickness, pain, but yet, God, we are rich. We are rich because we know you. Yet, God, we are rich because you have promised you will help us overcome in the end. Yet, God, we are rich because there is laid up for us a crown of life. God, help us not to fear. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Continue to pray and worship. They're going to sing for us this morning.